Welcome to the Always Better Than Yesterday podcast. I am your host, Ryan Hartley. This podcast is for heart-centered leaders just like you. I hope our time spent together helps you leave a heart print where those around you are left better than yesterday. These interview sessions are sponsored by our great friends at Elevate Online Marketing. On today's episode, I am joined by best-selling author and Oscar-winning actor, Matthew McConaughey. 12 months ago, I welcomed Matthew onto the show. We had an incredible conversation, which our community absolutely loved. Maybe this is the first time that you're going to hear this conversation. You are in for a treat. And maybe this is the second or third time that you've listened to this conversation. I hope that you're able to meet this conversation in a new place. And maybe you'll take away one or two new things from this conversation. I absolutely love it. One of the best things about the feedback that I get from this episode is it looks like two friends having a good conversation, which is everything I had hoped to do for Matthew. I think he has been interviewed by so many people in his career, and especially with the release of Green Lights, that I really wanted to create a personal experience, one that was unique, and asked some slightly different questions, as well as trying to get the best out of the always better than yesterday mentality at the same time. Let me know what you think. Do I do a good job? Let me know. But here we go. Episode 164 with Matthew McConaughey. Matthew McConaughey, welcome to the Always Better Than Yesterday podcast. How are you, my friend? I'm good, Ryan. Good to be here. Uh, I already like the title, man. Always better than yesterday. We got a lot to talk about. <laughs> yes, we have. Yes, we have. And and um, in prep, in preparing for this this conversation, um, I was thinking there is no need to introduce Matthew McConaughey. He's incredibly famous. And then I read your book for the second time, and then I knew exactly what I needed to do. I needed to give you back the gift of introducing yourself because you talk about being in a world where there are non-introductions, uh, there are preconceived bios. And I'd love to give you the little gift of Matthew McConaughey, please introduce yourself. Great. Uh, hey, everybody. Matthew David McConaughey. Um, born November 4th, 1969. I was an accident. My mother thought I was a tumor in her belly for the first five months because they've been trying to have kids for years unsuccessfully. Then whoop, guess what came along? I did. Thankfully for that. I've um, got two older brothers. Um, my middle brother, who's uh, in between me and my older brother, was my eldest brother's 10-year-old birthday present. So my mom and dad went off to Dallas, Texas and adopted him and got him that birth that birthday present. Pat, my middle brother's been my hero. Got a mom and dad. My dad moved on from this life 1992 uh, because he woke up on a Monday morning, felt frisky, made love to my mother, had a heart frivolation. Uh, just as he did, and that's he, he's a man who called his shot and said, when I go, boys, I'm going to go make love to your mother, and he sure as heck did it. He called it. Um, I, um, you know, went through life uh, in a small town, um, kind of always been a pretty good risk taker. Uh, a lot of my risk have paid off. A lot of them have mm, caused me broken noses as well. <laughs> um, and I think uh, life's worth living. And I think it's worth trying some things out. And, I've, and, and I believe in the uh, common denominator of values among mankind. And I'm a big fan of the, of the fact that if we all made sense of humor, the default emotion, mm. we'd all get along a hell of a lot better. Mm. 
Hey my friends, hope you're enjoying the interview so far. Just wanted to take a quick moment to let you know that this summer, the Always Better Than Yesterday community turns five. On Saturday, the 25th of June, 2022, we're going to be hosting an event down here in Trowbridge in the southwest of England, where we're going to bring together like-hearted human beings with a little bit of inspiration, a whole lot of connection, and we're going to be celebrating this journey that we've all been on over the last five years. We have three guest speakers lined up. We'll be joined by Matt Hill, Esther McCann and Tommy Gentleman. We'll have welcome drinks provided by our sponsor, Elevate Online Marketing, and we'll have food provided by Valicious. And after we've had some speakers, we've had some food and some welcome drinks, we will then start the party. We will have some music. We are going to have a live band performing live for us for the very, very first time. You can get your tickets now. Tickets are on sale. They are £20 per person. They will include your welcome drink and your evening meal. So go grab your tickets now in the show notes and let's get back to the interview. I love that. We've got a lot to talk about and um, welcome back to England. You know, Green Lights is going down so well here and, and my friends and my community are absolutely loving it, especially the audiobook. And um, when you were filming The Gentleman, you had the proper British experience of a pint in a pub, but I thought like pickled eggs were just for show. Like I didn't expect anybody to order one. <laughs> well, that's Guy Ritchie. Oh, yeah, I had my bottom and pickled egg. I don't believe I finished it. I didn't go back. <laughs> uh, can we talk about your love letter to life? Yay. Let's do it. Let's do it. It's, it, is, it is my favorite book, my friend. And then. Uh, and I and I enjoyed it the second time round. I've read I've read it twice, and it's it's just full of wisdom. Like I want to rip up the self development industry, and I want to rename it the self leadership industry. Okay. Uh, and I and I think that's what this book is. It's a it's a it's a great. You call it, I guess, a, a memoir or an approach, a perspective. Mm-hmm. That, you know, I think is some tidbits I've heard along the way that have, oh, there's some, some consistency there. There's some science to satisfaction. And just trying to jot those down. So I'm, I'm, I'm with you on the self-help, self-development, self those, I'm, I'm, I have a little bit of a cringe when I hear those words mm. too. My mind stereotypically goes to the Hallmark cards. And I'm not a, Hey, if you dream it, you can do it. And I'm like, no, that's BS. It, it's not. It's more than that. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I, I'm, I'm glad it translated to you. You know, I, I, I've said this before, but the more personal I got, the more into the subjective, this is how I felt, the more it actually became translatable to more people and more of humanity, the more it spoke to the we. Mm. And that has sort of carried over with me through the writing of the book, through the touring with the book, and as far as a view of where I'm trying to go in life is there are decisions in life where what's best for the I can also be what's best for the we. And where the I meets the we in decisions and choices is a honey hole of, 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 of a decision and choices like that that I think, think pay off for ourselves mm-hmm. and the most amount of people. And none more so in parenting, right? And you you talk about the the thing that you knew that you always wanted to be was a father, and and uh, and parenting is like it's like a team, you know. I, my wife and I we we had our challenges, shall we say, pre pre quarantine, and I'm glad we did because yeah. now we're we're more of a we than than we've ever been. I I guess um you talk about in the book that your your favorite office is is on the road, 
and um, in the highways of America. How is uh, how is Camilla feeling about that? Is she wishing you were back on the highways, or is she glad to have you uh, home? Yeah, right. Um... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's probably wanted me out of the house a few times, I'm sure. Um, she's been, you know, she's the best for me. She's the, she sees that I need a road trip or I need to get the hell out and go off on my own before I do. Which talk about teamwork. That's, that's a great partner right there. And, and it's like what a good friend does for another good friend. They, they want to see the best in them and they know when they need to go get some of their own time without uh, are, uh, without the other. So she's very good about pressing me to do that. Um, I think I'm good, you know, I, I, I just don't get to go as far because I'm not taking many road trips right now with COVID. But I go down the street and I'll go like, uh, you know, camp out down the street for a couple of days and I'm actually only a half a mile away. I just don't hmm. tell them I'm only a half a mile, you know. I love it. Um, I'd love to talk about, so here we always better than yesterday, we help people lead with love. And, um, I think a key part of that is doing what you love and, and being someone that you love. So I'd love to dive into a couple of those topics if you're yeah. cool with that. And, um, you know, doing what you love, I'd love to know the power of the words. Don't half ass it. Yeah. Well, as you read in the book, that's the words my dad gave me when I said, I don't want to go to law school anymore. Dad, I want to go to film school. And again, I thought he was going to go, you want to do what? <laughs> no way, you know. Um, but he didn't. He gave me, instead of saying no, instead of saying okay, he gave me a launch pad and a kick in the backside and said, well, if that's what you're going to do, don't half-ass it. And it's really one, a line that I think we can all carry around in our pocket more often than we do. Mm. Meaning it sort of goes part and parcel with another line I've got. If you're going to do it with pleasure, Meaning, mm -hmm. if you're going to do something, and it's based off of the original sort of theory I have in the beginning of the book of when faced with the inevitable, get mm -hmm. relative. Mm -hmm. Well, there's so many times that we, we, we're we doing something we know we're going to do. There's no choice. <laughs> we're going to do it. And we hem and haw about it still. Ah, I can't stand I don't like doing that. I talk to people in my business. I don't like doing these talk shows. Jeez, why do I got to go on? A, I got to do another podcast today. Well, I'm Okay, then say no. Then don't do it. Mm. Well, no, I'm going to do it. All right, then quit bitching since you know you're going to do it. <laughs> and since we're going to do it and I'm going to engage or as the old Jay Leno line, the first talk show I ever did and I was nervous. And he goes, you nervous? I said, yes. He goes, I got one rule. Make this real easy. I go, what? He goes, just want to be here. Mm. And it was like, ah, that's it. <laughs> just want to be here. Yeah, um, so don't half-ass it is basically saying, look, I mean, we can give it our best and still fail. But I know for me, the failing, if I've given it my, if I've not half-assed it, mm. I can deal with that. Mm. What I, what keeps me up at night is failing and going, oh, I kind of half-assed it. <laughs> I don't know. So now I don't really have the answer. I don't know. I mean, I know I like to always be in the know. Yeah, I like to even be in the know of what the hell I don't know. But mm -hmm. not half-assing it at least lets me know with success, I can go, yep, I had a hand in that. And with failure, I go, yep, I had a hand in that. <laughs> it's, the, it's, the, it's the blind spots that, 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 that suck, that, that give us real fatigue of not knowing, well, if I would have given it my all, if I really would have given 100% there, would I have been able to pull that off? 
Mm-hmm. Well, now I don't know because that moment's gone and I half-assed it, so now I don't know. The wondering the what if is what will cause a sleepless night and a grumpy morning, man. So <laughs> not half-assing it is a very good one to take with us to just say, hey, whatever we're going to do, once we decide, yes, I'm doing this, if that's inevitable, then don't half-ass it. And then you're going to know. Then the rubber's going to hit the road, even in career choices that we have. Pick one and commit to it. It will then reveal if it's the right one or the wrong one. But don't sit there in limbo and watch days, weeks, months, years go by because you didn't make a decision and you kind of dabbled a toe over here and dabbled a toe over here. No, hell, pick one. Pick one one and find out. One of the things I think you uh, are really great at describing in the books is this sense of paradox. I think you almost revel in, in paradox. And I think one thing I've always struggle with is the phrase it is what it is like i'm a sort of guy that it will be what i make it up until the point that has caused me some severe pain when there are things beyond my control you know yeah yeah yeah. just how do you account for like both are true well let's lean into what i think i think what what you were talking about Uh, it comes from for me, uh, talk about it, the literal symbol is the mandorla. It comes from a, a book in the Bible, Matthew six twenty two. If thy mm-hmm. eye be single, thy whole body will be full of light. Mm-hmm. Basically what that's saying, and it, this shows up in the Quran, it shows up in Hindu, it shows up in many religions. But it's saying, okay, heaven and hell, uh, future, past, uh, technology, culture. Um, you know, we see these as contradictions. Mm-hmm. And that's two separate eyes. There's dual eyes, right? Where, in fact, well, no, the truth lies in that third eye in the middle. That's where all the colors of the truth are. So it is not taking away discernment or judgment because we do need to choose. We choose one. But it is saying, no, I understand that's true as well. For instance, in politics, you know, the the the, the, the you could argue that some leftist ideals need to actually give a little more credit to the evil that mankind can possess. You know, it's, it's not saying, oh, if I give it credit, then I'm, then I'm part and parcel with it. But it's no, give a little more credit. Um, I talk about it with the word unbelievable as the mm. word I don't like. It's no, give more credit to what's awesome. Mm. The things that make us believe more, um, whether they're awesome uh, natural beauties or awesome natural disasters. So, you know, you talk about in life, it, it is what it is or it is what I do with it. Look, I found this in going through the book in my life and in the touring with it. I noticed that a lot of my successes, I wrote the headline first. It is what I'm going to make it. I got a goal. I'm going to it. I'm going to make it happen. And I thought that was about 90% of my successes. Well, I found out going back through my stories, I was like, that's about 50%. The other 50% are where you just jumped off and said, I'm going to figure this out on the way down. I'm jumping off the cliff and going to figure out how to fly. Um, and I would argue that actually some of the more magical and spiritual trips I've been on were those when I didn't know what result I wanted. But I just put on my proverbial shoes and tied them and went out the damn door and said, I'm going to go find out. But it was open-ended. And those are scarier. Because you don't know where you're going to come, what you when you win and how you're going to come up on the other side. Mm. So again, that's also a paradox. How much do we? How much are we driving? Self-determining. Mm-hmm. 
and how much of it is it is 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 fate you know because you look back from our moments in life right now everything from this moment back is a science you can connect all the dots but it was a damn mystery getting here and how many times a day do we go how did i end up here i don't know why this makes sense mm. well in the rearview mirror it all connects yeah. you know and so there again is the paradox well, how much of it is a science how much of it is a mystery moving forward seems to be the mystery and the rearview mirror is all science mm. What did a, a wet dream reveal about being a child of God? Yeah. Well, the way. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for throwing that off like you were saying water is wet <laughs> or like dirt is brown. Yeah. It, um, you know, the wet dream <laughs> is what got me to go on my my walkabout. It it, 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 it was a, it was a recurring dream that I had six years apart. I had it once, then I had it again six years later. And it was so acutely, specifically the exact same dream down to every pixel in the picture in my mind and to the exact time of the frame of the shot that I saw in my mind. It was so specific that I woke up and I went, whoa, okay, this is one of those times that I'm getting a direct signal going, listen. Listen, listen, McConaughey, listen. So I have to listen to this. What is it telling me? Um, so like dreams are or that don't necessarily make sense of time and space. There were two things that were very clear in the dream. There was an Amazon River and there was a ridge of African tribesmen. So mm -hmm. geographically, I had two places to chase. Went off on, a, on my spiritual walkabout to go float the Amazon, which I saw in my dream. Um, during that trip, it was the first half was quite a penance. It was a time where I had to, had to strip myself of the names and the talismans and the things that were mortal that I looked up to. Yep. And then, well, you know, my pride or honor for my country, my standing up for my name and my McConaughey, what it means to be a man, what, 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 you know, all these things, uh, that, you know, or the talismans that some of us wear, the tattoos we have. And I just had to strip those. And it came to me one night, get rid of all of these things, you're, these little headlines that you're trying to live up to, right? What they mean, strip them down to where, no, it's just me, man. I'm at least a mammal at a base level. And then for me, it was, I'm in, I am, uh, a child of God. That's it. That's all I got. No, I'm not going to, I'm not going to talk to myself. I'm not going to think anymore about expectations of what I have for me at my age. I'm not going to think of my expectations of what I have for me as, what, as a male. I'm not going to think of my expectations of me as American. I'm not going to think of my expectations of me as a McConaughey, as a Texan, none of that. Forget all that. And a lot of clarity came from there. I mean, I'm in the book I talk about it. It was a, it was a, you know, it was a purging night, literally and metaphorically. And uh, um, I had to get rid of those expectations that I had for myself to then see them more clearly. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit of the, the, the poetry of and I bring out for the book. You got to leave what you know to find out what you know. I had to get rid of all the things I knew that I trusted in. You know, my father passing away was a form of a purge. Somebody I knew had my back in life.
somebody I knew that was my crutch if I got in a real pinch, someone I could depend on. Boom, he dies, he's gone. Whoa, that's gone. Well, what he was meant more to me Mm. in his physical absence now and also gave me the power to go, well, you better take the baton and now start enacting and living the things that you trusted him for instead of just relying on him. So, you know, that I, the, the wet dream, that same one came up five years after the second one, which told me to go chase the second half of my dream, which is the story in the book about Africa. Now, I haven't had it the fourth time. Maybe so, which tells me so far, I think I finished the, uh, the spiritual walkabout. But if I have it again, hell, I, heck, I don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> <laughs> I look forward to the, the, the next book on, on describing that. I think one of the most um, beautiful pages that I've read in, in the book was what your description of what it means to be man enough. How did you uh, come to that realization of what it means to be man enough? You mean that poem, Man Enough? Yes, yeah, beautiful, man. Thank you. You know, I wrote that... I wrote that one late night while I was staying at the Chateau Marmont in Hollywood at a time in my life when I was, I write about it, I was very single mm-hmm. um, and gave, had given myself license to say, hey, enjoy a single life as healthily as possible. Um, uh, which in an, in an adverse way was another sort of purge because it was at a time in my life right before that that I was like looking for the one. <laughs> you know, I got to find her. At every damn red light, produce section, party is, is the one for me out there. Well, I, wanna, I was like, no, back off. Quit trying so damn hard and give yourself how much time you need to say, I don't have to find the one. Hmm. And it was, so I had those those single years, but I was going through learning. And I think the end of that, end of that poem is about, you know, when, when mortal rewards are not enough to pay your rent your soul's rent, you know, and man enough to apologize, man enough to forgive, man enough to know, man enough to admit you don't. Things, it was, again, playing on paradoxes of, of, of becoming a man is much more than, than being, it's not about being macho, mm. you know, it's about, there's a, there's a definition to masculinity mm. that makes us really man enough, not macho. Macho is when you're not yet man enough, so you're, you're acting like you think you're supposed to, but you're not, you, you, you don't, you, you, there's, there's, you're missing half the story. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Um, so it was me, it was a right, it was a time I was going through a rite of passage of coming up to owning myself and to quit, tr- you know, I have many times in the book where I'm like, okay, time to quit trying to be like one and start just being one. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I press myself and I calibrate and recalibrate many times and will continue to, but it was a, it was a bit of a rite of passage for me at a time where I was like, okay. And it was also not exactly where I was. It was where I was saying, I want to go. And I wrote it down. I remember writing the poem to give myself something to look at and go, Hey, this is where you're heading. This is when you can become a man. You still have a lot of growing to do. Matthew is what I was telling myself. Mm. We know how the story pans out. You you find self-love, you find love. Um, and I think I think people don't realize that Interstellar is a love story at its core, isn't it? Interstellar, the film, is it's a love story. You're talking with Anne Hathaway's character around the meaning of love and transcends time and space. I guess, what does love mean to Matthew McConaughey? What does love mean? 
Well, let me piggyback on what you just said a minute ago. You you said you said look, self love leads to being able to love someone else. I, I I'm I purchased that reciprocity that you bring up right there. Um, that we gotta we gotta be able to love ourselves. We gotta be able to respect ourselves. Mm-hmm. We gotta be able to believe in ourselves before we can love, respect, or believe in somebody else. Before we can give our best to someone else or show them our best or show them our worst. Mm. Mm. Uh, You know, love doesn't, there's a lot more love in the paradox than the contradiction, you know, (laughs) and I will say this, love, you know, it's not, again, it's not, I don't believe it's the hallmark. When people say love is the answer, okay, maybe, but love's got teeth. Love's got, sometimes love's got fangs, okay? Mm. And it can bite and be bitten. It's not foolish. It's not, in some ways it's public, but in some ways it's absolutely private. Mm. In some ways it's for everybody, in some ways no, it is exclusive as can be in particular to this person, this place, this thing. I believe we can love more than people. I believe we can love places. I believe we can mm-hmm. love feelings. Uh, I believe we can, uh, uh, I think it's good to love being alone <laughs> at times because we're actually, it's more than, you know, people think that's a, that's, that's a, that's a, that's a, a lonely place because only one person's there. No, there's two there. You and you, <laughs> there's a Socratic dialogue. And what, what, what's that? How's that? How's that conversation going? Mm. Oh, I tell you what, sometimes I can't stand the company, my own. But when I can't stand my own company is when I'm telling myself, well, that I me, mean, I think it's a pretty good time. Like Camilla says, go take a road trip. You need to spend some more time with yourself because you're not getting along with yourself right now. So go figure it out. Um, so, and then, you know, the great here's one of the greatest examples of what love is. Remember the film Adaptation? Mm-hmm. Nicolas Cage plays his brother, Nicolas Cage. <laughs> so it's at the end of it, the Chris Cooper character's coming, they're in the he Nicolas Cage character and his brother are in the swamps and they're hiding behind this big tree. And I'm gonna paraphrase and butcher this up, but the, you'll get the meaning. The older brother who was the successful writer, talking to the young, sort of more nerdy writer who wasn't as successful. He says, hey, I got to ask you, man, about that, that, that girl in high school, Katie Langley, whatever her name was, she came to you and asked you, like, uh, you know, if, if you would go to the prom with her. And she was like a really popular girl. And she was so pretty and everything. And, 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 and you said yes. And then as soon as you said yes, she laughed at you and all your friends came out and all her friends came out and laughed. And you were like, ah, she's not going to the prom with you, you dork. Da, da, da. And you just looked at her and smiled and kind of walked off and said, okay. I was like, how did you do that? I mean, how'd you not get mad, embarrassed? He goes, well, I loved, I cared and loved for Katie Langley. And it wasn't precipitated on whether she loved me back. It wasn't dependent on her loving me back. I still did and still do. That's a beautiful, when you say, hey, I'm giving the unconditional. And it goes out unconditionally. And you don't have to pay me back if I give you a quarter of my love. You don't have to pay me the exact quarter back. I'm going to keep giving. I mean, we're not going to add up to see where are we on the debit on the debit credit section. You know what I mean? I'm giving it, and it feels good going out. And whether you like it or not, I'm giving it to you. That's amazing. 
Yeah, I really, I really relate to that. A friend of mine, um, Emily, she asks about um, remaining true to your values in 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 Hollywood. And I guess what that question brought up to me was that uh, when you said, "If I can't do what I want to, I wasn't going to do what I didn't." Yeah. And um, doing what you love brings with it sacrifice and and costs. And I guess to the tune of fourteen million dollars of sacrifice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had to say no to that. Yeah. What did that do for you? Well, it gave me some real identity mm. because I was sacrificing. I was sacrificing time, entertainment, money. I was sacrificing being able to do what I love to do create, mm. tell stories, act. Even if it wasn't romantic comedies, I love doing those. But. It was a time in my career where I noticed, oh, it's okay that you love doing those, but they're doing really well in the box office and you've done a few back to back, their success and your success in them, Matthew, is actually disallowing you from having the opportunity to do anything else. Now, this is also at a time where I've just got my firstborn child, Levi, I'm feeling as masculine as ever. Life is vital. There's extreme joy. There's extreme pain, extreme tears, extreme laughter. The ceiling in the basement of my life was so vital. Well, the work I was doing, you know, the romantic comedy, the, the, the ceiling in the basement of those emotions are much more compressed. They're, they're, it's, they're built that way. You know, a drama allows for these, well, how do you, what do you, what do you want me to do with the scene? How do you feel about it? How deep do you want to go? How high do you want to fly? That's the beauty of drama. And in that ways, it can be more personal. So I wanted to do those dramas. Those dramas weren't coming my way. Uh, so I said no to what I was doing, even though I couldn't get what I wanted to do. I gained a lot of strength in that. I mean, it's 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 in similar ways to the year I spent in Australia was an endurance test. All right. The losing all the weight for Dallas Buyers Club, an endurance test. Mm. This time where I said, no, I'm not going to do the work I've been doing, and I don't know when something other than that's going to come my way. There's no guarantee it does. I may days in Hollywood may be over. It became a bit of an endurance test. And so in ways, the longer it went on, the more power I started to gain. I started to feel like I was more on an island, like the sacrifice was going another step deeper. And I was starting to get empowered by the fact that, oh, I'm really committed to this. I'm going deeper. This is getting gnarly. I don't know if I'm ever going to work again. And I started to get a little I did more identity and empowerment from that in a way. So the sacrifice and the penance was paying off. Even if I wouldn't have gotten offered the movies I got offered that I went and did, Whatever I'd be doing in my life now, I think that 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 saying no to what I was doing, what was that? I mean, that was 15 years ago. I mean, what if what if what if what if the offers that I what I wanted to do never came? I'd be doing something that I would. I, I believe I'd be doing something that I would feel really valuable about because of saying the sacrifice that I'd taken of going, no, I'm not doing that anymore. That's not filling me up the way I want. I'm, that's not the, a, a risk that's scaring me in the right way. I would have done something. I would have found something. But anyway, luckily, things I wanted to do came my way. 
And so, yeah, those sacrifices can help build us and give us a lot of strength. Uh, for more you know, value, you know, we talk about roots. We want our roots to go wider. Those sacrificing can make our roots go deeper. Mm. Mm. Your um, your we obviously know how the story plays out with Dallas Buyers Club. We we know that you get the the Oscar for for best actor, and I love the full circle that the final words of your acceptance speech were words that you said in your first ever part and there's such serendipity around the way that those words like where does that how do you look back at that and think wow like it just blows my mind dude me too it blows <laughs> my mind and i you know all right all right all right i get asked geez oh man don't you get tired of that and I'm like, heck no i don't why and those are the first three words I said on a summer night in 1992 in Austin, Texas, my very first night on a film set of a movie that was called Days and Confused in a scene that I was not supposed to be in that the director goes, hey, think Wooderson would do this? I'm like, yeah. And they were three affirmations. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Of three things that my character had. And I set them pulling into the scene because one, I was anxious, nervous. I was going into my first acting scene. There wasn't anything scripted. And I was going over in my head, well, what does my man, my character have? And I had my character Wooderson had his car, which was very important to him. He had his rock and roll, which was very important to him. And he had a, and he had a doobie rolled up by Slater riding shotgun. So he was in his car listening to rock and roll and he was high. Well, those are three things that my character Wooderson liked. And he was going to get a fourth pillar of what he liked. He liked, in his words, Wooderson, he liked chicks. So he was going to pick up the redheaded intellectual. So I said, the three all rights are the three affirmations of the three things I did have going to get my fourth. And it's amazing that that, that line stuck, that line stuck because it's actually off screen. You don't even see me say it. In the movie, it's a wide shot of the car pulling around the shadows and you kind of hear it. All right, all right, all right. And then Wooderson pulls up. And it's sort of an introduction of the character, but it was also my introduction to me, Yeah. what turned out to be my career. I didn't know if that was going to be my one little job I had for a week in the summer of 92 that I would to this day be looking back going, oh, yeah, I got to do this acting gig for one couple of nights. And, you know, I didn't know if it was a hobby. I didn't know if it was less than a hobby. And it turned out to be a career. So... That's first words I said, I'd love hearing them now because they call back in that serendipitous way you're talking about to the very yeah. beginning. And and there's deep meaning to the uh, Just Keep Living as well. Yeah, Just Keep Living came out. It was near, I had been working for five days on that film, Days Confused. So five nights after I said, those three words are right, all right, all right, for the first time in my first job, <laughs> in my first film. Five nights later, I got a call that my dad had had a heart attack and moved on from this life. So I go home that night, forget work. I go home. We. We hang out, we, we 
shed tears, we shed stories, we have an Irish wake like my dad wanted to have. We spent a few more days. And then my family tells me, look, you gotta you gotta get back and go finish what you're doing. And it was the first night back, I got back uh, on set and uh, I was walking around, it was a football stadium. We were, we were shooting the scene that night. I was walking around the stadium before shooting, it was about sunset. I was talking with the director, Richard Linklater. And um, kind of sharing with him, like, you know, he understood. I just lost my dad. We were talking mm -hmm. about, and I was sharing with him, like, what's it all mean? You know, and I was like, and it, it came to me that day on the drive back from, I went from Houston to Austin that day, driving back home from being home from my dad's death. It came to me, I was like, well, you can still talk to your dad. You can still, he's only, it's only the body's not here anymore. You're going to miss him. But if you want to pick up the phone and call him, pick up the damn phone and call him. You want to talk to him out loud, talk to him. You want to keep him alive in the values that he instilled in you or the man he looked for, that he helped teach you to be and that you can now become. They'll keep those alive. That's how you really mm -hmm. keep him alive. And I was like, yeah, it, it's, it's just, I think that's what it's about. Just keep living. And it came out of my mouth. I then said it and it came out of my mouth in the scene that night in a, I hope in a apropos way. And I've never been able to shake it. And what I mean by that is this, I haven't tried to shake it. It's just that I've not found a place where that some part of that approach or theory or perspective is not applicable. Mm. All the way down to the existential questions. Well, what else are we going to do? <laughs> and when all's not, what do we, you know, I think Chekhov says it, we just go on living. I mean, if, 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 if it's, even if you say it's all for not, what else are we going to do? So even on the basest level, it applies. And then I've just found that there's a just keep living choice at every choice we can make. Sometimes it's literally the choice that gives more life. Sometimes it's a choice that may mean about destruction so you can have more life later. Just keep living choice. Take two years off from doing the work you were doing. Destruct, burn that down so you can harvest a new career. There's, so it's, there, there's, I've never found a place where it's not applicable. <laughs> I put it, I put it, I never, never see a place where, where it feels like it's out of style either. I'm super conscious of your time. I want to be respectful. I've got a couple more questions. So maybe we'll do a quick fire round of questions. But I first of all, just want to say thank you for the, the words that you said in your acceptance speech about having someone to chase and your hero being you in 10 years time. That gave me a frame of reference, uh, a time when I grew up single parent family, didn't really have kind of male role model. Um, was really seeking a lot of love and validation in my life. And, and, and the result of that meant I was, I would tell people how good I was or tell people what I was doing brings oh, the perception that. of arrogance. Um, and I just wanted to be loved, just wanted to be loved. Uh, and then I became a parent, uh, you know, around these years and I started to figure out it's not about me it's beyond me. And the frame of reference you gave that your hero was you in 10 years time, the arrogance just went like, that's where I'm headed. It's I want to be better every single day. That's where I'm headed. Be in ten years' time. So, you changed my life, my friend, without even knowing right. it. And I just want to say thank you. Right on, man. I, it's a that seems to be. I think we're all chasing yet, mm. individually, as people. Look at where we're going now in the world. 
You know, we, we, we went the result. Got to know it now. Well, you can have the big picture in mind, but it, what do what you? I think we need to get a little bit longer view of where we're, where we're going. Mm. It's hard, though, because some people, <laughs> it's hard to think about what I want to do tomorrow. Mm. Who do I want to be tomorrow? Well, what do, I'm not sure I want to be at dinner tonight sometimes. But as far as we can project out and go, how can I be my better self, my truer self? Tomorrow, next week, next month, next year, five years from now, ten years from now, on my deathbed, my eulogy. After I'm gone, how can my children or so what mark do I leave where I'm still living on? Just keep living, for instance. You know, yep. uh, it's that's what we're here to chase. Mm. And knowing, I think the great thing is knowing that's the point. We're never going to catch them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, that's great. Like any relationship, we love the chase. It's not near as fun after you catch. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's if it's 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 a. I'm glad it glad it it uh, made sense to you, man. And because we all that's our own. Per, it's everyone has their own personal story for mm. what they're chasing, and it can even change over time. You know what's your definition of what we're chasing, but it keeps us in the it keeps us in the game, and hopefully it is a slight. You know, it's the title of your show. You know, a little better today than yesterday. Come on, man. Life's worth, uh, it's worth a small ascension. It doesn't have to be flat the whole way. It's worth a small ascension. We never get to the pinnacle and go, ta-da, I've done it. <laughs> you know what I mean? But, hey, it can, it can evolve. It can yeah, have some evolution. Yeah. So what are those words always better than yesterday inspiring you then? That that's, that's, that's the ticket. And it doesn't mean that today is going to be better than yesterday. Sometimes today I, I trip and I trip and stumble on the same path I was on yesterday that I breezed right through, and I bogey where yesterday I birdied. But maybe that's or you don't prepare your Spanish monologue. Oh shit! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and there you, and, and there's a necessary yellow light. Mm. or red light to go back to the, the the metaphor of my book of saying oh now i'm going to prepare even better mm. so that doesn't happen again and i even though maybe yesterday i was really good at it and I, maybe i got lucky now i'm going to be more than lucky i'm going to be lucky and have the skill yeah i love that so maybe tomorrow's but um, better than uh yesterday you rapid fired questions on legacy. Okay. I know that you're Minister of Culture for, for Austin, and I'd love to know what you would hope someone's love letter to Austin sound like. Oh, love letter to Austin. Hey, culture's a vibe, and that's what we've got here in Austin. We don't have Six Flags, Universal, Niagara Falls, beaches. No, we got people. We got soul, we got food, we got drink, we got people come together, we got community. Um, every, nobody's too good and everybody's good enough around this place. If you follow your ears, you're going to like what you see. It's not a place where we run over each other to get what we want. We can actually, there's enough for us all to get it if we go side by side. Mm -hmm. It's a place where we're going to be very hospitable. 
It's a place that's clean. It's a place where we have expectations of each other. It's just a place where we're going to have some conscious money, where we're going to pay a little tithe and pay a little duty back to the place that we moved to and we live here because we have the choice and the possibility to live here. And we don't want to turn this place, Austin, into why we left that one. Hang out. Mm. Music got, going. The ambiance right on. Let's dance. You got room for one more? Yeah, man. <laughs> that's amazing. I love that. We'll have to go to a soccer game. Yeah. All right. When I'm there, I'll hit your... Who's your team? I'm a Chelsea fan. All right. I'm Let's, do fan as well. Let's do Just it. Let's do it. Then you get on my side. We'll go to Austin FC. You can come over here for a Guinness, and I'll come over there for uh, for one of your fine bourbons. Fair. Oh, mate. Honestly, it's got to happen. It's happening. Um, oh, I've lost track now. I've lost track. That was an amazing... Okay, I got mate. a chance for one more. You had another rapid fire. Leg legacy of Just Keep Living Foundation. Well, we're in 39 schools now across the U.S. We've been doing this for about nine years. It's working. We're going where we're we're needed. We're not able. The, the, the good part and the bad part is that we're going where we're needed, but we're not able to be in every place that we're needed. Um, mm -hmm. Legacy of Just Keep Living Foundation is that we got more and more young men and women that can go through our curriculum at a high school level, right before they're about to be independent and free into the world, um, have a better understanding of uh, how hard life can be when you get out. Mm -hmm. have a better understanding of how to take advantage of things maybe when they're easier when you get an opportunity to have the confidence to take take a, advantage of those opportunities yeah. um, and to understand that it's not just about filling a bank account but yes we do want to fill our bank account mm -hmm. but as we go through life let's fill our souls account hopefully we can get in that spot where both get full <laughs> i love that and uh, lastly what's the legacy of your fatherhood Oh, legacy of my fatherhood. Well, I hope that one day, and that day is not now, but I hope that one day my three children would be able to list me as uh, uh, one of their best friends, one of their five best friends. Um, mm -hmm. Again, that's not now. I need to be a father more than I need to be a best friend now. Mm -hmm. Later on. Um, that they would go be independent, autonomous, confident, and conscientious young young creatures out there in the world. Uh, and, and, and and do something. Hopefully, hopefully they can they can do something, make a living doing something that they're innately good at and love to do. That's powerful. That's powerful. I um I can't believe what I'm about to say to you, but in preparing for this interview, uh, obviously the Super Bowl was on Sunday Tampa were playing. You've obviously sung a song called "Ladies of Tampa." My wife said, <laughs> "My wife said you need you need to grab a pair, much like you your wife told you this time." And she said, "You need to you need to play that with Matthew." So, are you up for? Do you know the lyrics? I don't, but I but I I think I half wrote them, so it should come back to me quick. Do you have it? <laughs> I honestly like. Should we give it a go? Yeah, you give me the strum. I, I, I learned a few chords there. Yeah. I'm relying on you for the vocals because I am nowhere a singer. Ready? Do you know the do you know the lyrics? No. I don't remember the lyrics. Oh, we'll give should we give it a go? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, after you. 
Ladies of Tampa. <laughs> I sure do like to pamper. Wow, you. Wow, you. <laughs> Let's give that. Honestly, I, yeah. I, ladies I, of Tampa, I sure do like to pamper the you. That's the well, new lyrics that we made up. Honestly, I think I've got some brownie points because I picked up my guitar. I was sat here shitting myself thinking. <laughs> I think that was the E note. You got yeah. the E note. We're in. Yeah. We did it. We did it. Uh, Matthew, I honestly, this is, um, you know, it's not every day I get to speak to someone uh, like yourself. And I, I've loved every single minute. I, I know my audience will have absolutely loved um, you, your heart, your soul, and your book. Can you just sign us off with a final thought from your good self, please? Yeah, man, here we go into a uh, another year on this calendar year, 2021. And we all know the old red light that 2020 was did not disappear just because the calendar changed years. Let's build our way out of this. Let's look out for ourselves, look out for each other. Um, we got some evolving to do. And is that going to be hard work? You damn right it's going to be hard work. But it can be a hell of a lot of fun, too. Um, again, let's look after ourselves and each other. Create as many green lights for ourselves and others at the same time. Again, I think where the I meets the we, that's the honey hole of where we need to go that pays us back and the most amount of people at the same time. Um, bless up, pet your dog or your pet when you got when you can, and uh, look after yourselves. I love you, brother, thank you. All right, now. Hey, my friends, thank you for making it to the end. I hope that our time spent together today has left you a little bit better than before you push play. I'd really appreciate if you just took a moment to leave a review to allow me to meet more people where they are and hopefully leave them a little bit better too. If you're curious to know how I, through Always Better Than Yesterday, can serve you, your team, your organisation, then head to alwaysbetterthanyesterday.com to connect. And while you're there, let me know one or two things that you're going to do as a result of listening to this conversation. I absolutely love hearing your thoughts, your reflections, and the things that this spark in your own heart and mind. If you want more insights from my heart and mind, I do send out short episodes on a Monday, Tuesday, Thursday and Friday. And again, I hope that they serve you well. I appreciate you listening. I'm Ryan Hartley, host of the Always Better Than Yesterday podcast, a podcast for heart-centered leaders just like you. Keep leading, my friends. Always love.